Welcome to a new episode of Liftoff, a Jets football podcast with your host, Chris, and from playlikeajet.com, Mr. Sharman Phillip. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Liftoff Jets, and you can follow Sharman at Grown Folk 1980. You could follow myself at CP7NY. You could catch us everywhere you get your podcast Spotify, Apple, Google. Uh, you could also catch us on Sportswire Radio at sportsinarium.com backslash player. And you can follow the station manager there, Thomas Bryce at Thomas Bryce 2017. So, Charmin, before we get our guest on, I just want to say uh, congratulations and we could say thank you to everybody. We made it to our 50th episode of Liftoff, which is pretty cool. I mean, I know some people are like, ah, it's no big deal. That's not a big number. It's not many. But I think doing 50 episodes of, of this show, and I appreciate everybody listening to us and, you know, liking it on Twitter and sharing it to everybody. So it means a lot to us. That means you guys like our stuff, like listening to us, and we're doing it for you guys. So. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. So, Charmin? Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely, um, basically, I'm really happy about everything, man. I, I remember uh, us struggling to find a name, struggling to, you know, you know, just, you know, what, what the concept is going to be. And we just kind of threw ourselves in it. And then we blinked and it's 50. It's crazy how quickly that went by, man. It is crazy. So anyway, we have a special guest for our 50th episode, right? Yeah, we have a man. Come on, man. That that's the brother right there. I mean, it's not, <laughs> we can't even say he's a guest no more because I know, that's, I know. every time this guy comes in, like he just kind of just blows up the room. No, you know, nobody, nobody could be a guest like we could be a guest. Uh, when I'm still waiting for here, my man. ownership stock options, guys. Yeah. No one sent me anything. <laughs> when we get it, you'll get it. Trust me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Heard that. <laughs> Andrew Golden, brother, what's up, man? How you doing? Oh, what's going on, guys? Thank you again so much for having me. You guys know how much I love stopping by to talk to you. Anytime I get the opportunity to come on here, I come running. Cool, man. Hey, yeah, it, it's it's good to have you, man. But it's, it's especially good to have you in a situation like this, because this is epic, man. This is New York Jets NFL draft stuff. But this is not only NFL draft stuff, New York Jets NFL draft, like regular NFL draft. Like, you know, everybody, I'm walking on the street, people see me with my Jets shirt on, they'll be like, yo, the Jets did good. Like, people are stopping me. <laughs> yep. And, like, just random people, like, just pointing at me, be like, yo, you guys did good, man. <laughs> I mean, we... We have to bring Andrew to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, no, hey. it's, it's, I've had that same experience happen to me a couple of times. A couple of people at, uh, at my job that I work with during the day, um, one of them's a Bengals fan, one of them's a Browns fan, and they both come up to me when I first saw them after the draft. And normally just, you know, by the nature of being a Jets fan, they'll find anything they can to rip, even if there's nothing they can find. And even both of them were like, you guys did good. I had to say, I got to be honest, you guys did really good. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, they must have done like absolutely undeniably fantastic when yep. people want to find a way to rip on it and they can't. They can't. They, there's just right. nothing they can say. There's no one area where it's like, Oh, they could have they could have done this or they could have done that. It's like, no, they just did fantastic and there's no denying it. It's a good feeling. Hey, Andrew, I got a I got a legendary jet story, right? So I'm walking in Queens in a in a part of Queens where there's like a, a small shop shopping area. 
And there's this dude that's basically like crazy out of his mind, sitting on the sidewalk, singing at the top of his lungs, you know, <laughs> dirty, got the dirty dreadlocks. I think that might have been me, Charmin. Stuff. You sure you didn't stop by and say <laughs> nah. hi? I was like, what's going on? <laughs> Definitely not you. But this guy, this guy is going crazy. I have my jet shirt on. I'm coming down the street with my wife. And out of all the craziness, dude had the, the wherewithal to stop point at me and be like the jets suck <laughs> perfect yo i'm telling you that has, that will go it's, down it definitely so was me then yeah that totally <laughs> sounds like me <laughs> i um i still can't get over it so i you know i've always bring up this story but in to me when you compared to what happens to me now just because of what happened in the 2022 draft where random people will stop me or just point at me because I'm wearing a Jets hat or something, you know, and say how good the Jets did. Like you said, it had to be so good um, in everybody's mind. And like you said, I think people probably probably tried to tear it apart in many ways and they just couldn't. But we have to kind of break it down a little bit. We did our own little breakdown last year, um, last week, and we thought we'd bring a professional you know, up in this place and kind of break this down. Um, first and foremost, Andrew, how surprised were you that the Jets were able to get Ahmad Gardner at four? Um, surprised that he was available, not very. Surprised that they took him very much so. I was under the impression that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas and Sala more so than anybody would value the the front of his defense more so than the back end. And especially after the additions they made in free agency, I thought that was going to be his green light to say, I'm taking the pass rusher at four. But from all indications, it sounds like they had sauce, if not at the top of their board, very close to it. And Robert Sala said in his draft call, you were always the one. They <laughs> clearly value their back end a little more than we gave them credit for. And I think it's more of a situation where I know we, I referenced this the last time I was on this show where I did that study on the Seattle defense. And one of the things that I can come to the conclusion to that the, the Jets absolutely addressed both of in this uh, draft class was one, you need talent at every single level of your defense, not just your defensive line. So there we go, adding some talent to the secondary. And if you don't have an offense that can score fast, none of it matters. Well, they add Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall. So they're trying to recreate the 2013 Seahawks and they're trying to do a better job of what they did. Uh, I mean, like I said, I was surprised, but I love the player in sauce Gardner. He's going to be a great fit um, on third downs, which are really crucial to the jets when they want to run their blitzes and run man coverage behind it. They needed guys that can lock up in man coverage and get off the field. So now you got two of them in DJ Reed and sauce Gardner. I'm, I'm here for it. Sign me up. Oh man. Um, yeah. They, that was Everything you said and, and, and more, man, if you could find a million adjectives to, un, to kind of unpack the way I was so at first on the other side of this. I, like you said, I kind of was on your side where I felt like I didn't, I, I didn't think they valued the, the back. Yeah, of their right. it wasn't so and much to where we were like. I wasn't so much against it. I just didn't even register it as a possibility. It exactly. was like, that was a thing. People had said it. And I'm like, yeah, like that could happen, but it won't. And then it did. And it just completely threw me out of whack. And especially the signing uh, DJ Reed, you know, cause now you have yeah. DJ Reed and, uh, and Bryce Hall and you're thinking, all right, we're good. 
you know, at corner, and then to add Garden. I mean, this is amazing. Definitely, yeah. and they got a great group. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. And again, to revisit what you were saying, Andrew, talking about the fact that you know, um, just the sheer amount of talent that that uh, Robert Sala always had at his disposal when he was in Seattle, right, or, or wherever he was. We're talking about. I think we even spoke about uh, his time in in uh, Jacksonville. And yep, people same thing like, there, and right. same thing in San Francisco too. Right. You know that 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 that's kind of crazy when you think about the amount of talent those teams always had everywhere, not only just yep. up front. So so when, with the addition of 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 Sauce Gardner, you take him and then you do you do uh, Reed and then Hall and then you take the 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 the, the rookies from last year that actually flashed some of them, especially um, what's his name, a Carter. Yeah, Carter in the slot played fantastic. Started exactly. the whole season for him. Yeah, and then and you've got a multitude of talented players that could play above average football consistently, which the Jets haven't had in such a long time at any position group. <laughs> you know, so so that was kind of, that was crazy, um, and that surprised me. But what also surprised me is the development of the one wide receiver that everybody on Twitter thought the Jets was able to get goes right before the Jets pick. And then the Jets elect because, you know, we're convinced at this point. I mean, I was that the Jets weren't going to pick wide receiver because the one guy we thought they would they would take at 10 was gone. And lo and behold, here comes a Wilson. And the Jets pick Wilson. I wasn't uh, surprised uh, by the Wilson pick at all. I'm going to uh, be completely and totally honest with you. Oh, yeah, let me break it down, it down for, me, for you. All right. Yeah. Um, the beat had no idea, first and foremost, as they True. usually don't, as we've seen. Um, <laughs> it, Joe, the beat knows what Joe Douglas wants them to know. And if the Basically. beat is reporting something with confidence, it's usually false. Um, <laughs> so, so as soon as I saw the beat saying the Jets love Drake London, I said, no, they don't. That doesn't make mm. any sense whatsoever. They just tried to trade for Tyreek Hill. Mm. You know who's the opposite of Tyreek Hill? Drake London. Very true. <laughs> so, so if they were willing to part ways with both of their second round draft picks plus to add Tyreek Hill to the offense, and now we're needing to take a receiver potentially with the 10th overall pick because we didn't land Tyreek Hill. And oh, by the way, who's that other guy in San Francisco who they were potentially interested in trading in, who is also a guy who's a little bit smaller, runs faster, a little more about making plays in space and not so much about being a contested catch guy. Oh, that's right, Debo Samuel. So they wanted Debo too, and they couldn't get Debo. Drake London is not your backup plan then. Drake London Mm -hmm. is never your backup plan. He didn't fit what they wanted. I had said from the very beginning, the Jets wanted speed on their offense. They wanted another guy opposite Elijah Moore when because the base of their offense this year is going to be 12 personnel with two tight ends. They're going to have hmm. two tight ends on the field. It's going to be Conklin, Uzama, Subin, Ruckert in various situations. And you're going to have one of Elijah Moore or Garrett Wilson and either the whoever of the two isn't playing and Corey Davis is your two receivers. More often Jeez. than not, it's going to be Moore and Wilson. Oh, and you're going to have Brees Hall in the backfield. <laughs> and you're going to have three guys that can score from 80. You're going to have an offensive line that's improved, and you're going to be in a 12 personnel set so you can run the ball anyway. 
plus these two guys on opposite ends of each other that can take the top off a defense with Zach Wilson's arm to capitalize. This offense is about to get disgusting. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't have been that way without the speed of Garrett Wilson added it. So as soon as I had, as soon as I knew for a 100% fact they wanted to trade for Tyreek Hill, I took away the possibility of them drafting Drake London. I mm. wasn't, it wasn't even in my thought process. And take, think of it this way. The Jets, I, in my opinion, had Garrett Wilson as their number one wide receiver. Mm. And he was who they wanted. Because when Robert Sala was asked after the draft, he said if the Falcons took Garrett Wilson at eight, and they were sitting on the board 10th overall and Drake London was available, they would have taken Jermaine Johnson. Uh, yeah, you see, I missed that one. And that makes so, a lot of sense when you put it that way. Yep. So I think the Drake London love was smoke. I think we saw that that was proved. Granted, we didn't see them have an opportunity to take him where we think they would have, but Sala said it himself. They were sweating out the Falcons pick at eight, hoping they wouldn't take Garrett Wilson. And when they didn't, they knew they were getting their guy. I think the beat got played like they always do. So uh, until I see one of these members of the beat get an actual scoop that ends up being right, I'm just going to assume that they're being played until here on out. <laughs> now, why why wasn't Jamison Williams that pick at 10? Because I know a lot of people... Injury. Oh, because of the injury. Okay. They're, the Jets are terrified with injuries. They were just destroyed with injuries last year. They mm. have PTSD because of it. They don't want to take a guy that's rehabbing or has a higher re-injury risk. And I'm sure Jameson Williams is a fantastic talent. Nothing against him. I think he's going to be a great player in the league and all of that's going to be fine. But Garrett Wilson has no injury history and he can be just as explosive for your offense. Plus he's going to be, he's there at minicamp right now. He's running. He's going to be working with Zach Wilson. This second year was all about making sure that Zach Wilson succeeds. What good is it giving him a 10th overall pick and receiver that can't play till November? Very true. Very true. Man. You got to have a guy that can grow with him. And so that's why they went with Garrett Wilson. And he also, on top of that, Garrett Wilson fits the mold that they like for their receivers, which you hear Robert Sala talk about versatility all the time. That's why Denzel Mims really struggled to get on the field was because he was struggling with the playbook at all three positions. They want their guys to be interchangeable. So you can have, now they have three guys in Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, and Corey Davis that can all play all three positions. That's going to keep defenses guessing. That's going to allow for different formation shifts where you can line up in one set, move people into other spots, get mismatches when you want them to. You need to have guys that are multiple like that. And Garrett Wilson can win vertically. He can win with the ball in his hands. He can win contested catches over the middle, uh, go up and get it. He can really do anything. He's kind of a jack of all trades. And I think that's what really drew them to him as the missing piece of this offense i'm again not necessarily what i would have done at the 10th overall pick not necessarily what i was expecting but i love garrett wilson as a fit in this offense he fits the profile of what i wanted as another receiver which was a speed freak to go with elijah moore and good luck keeping up with this offense that's all i gotta say because they got track stars literally at every level now that's crazy man you you know what uh, mims is is doing great in in camp right Joe Douglas screaming through the beat, please trade for him. Please, please, send a pick, please. He looks so good, please. <laughs> yeah, man, because because you, you know, I think you I think I I I wrote I, I in my opinion, my idea of bringing you here was to kind of dig into that pick right here, right? Because yeah. um I think everything you said is 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 uh is basically kind of where I wanted you to go. But I want you to kind of dig a little bit into uh, LaFleur's mindset 
on um, and what did you see from him last year in his growth as a first year um, as a first year coordinator um, to uh, basically like put you in the mind frame that he will be able to be successful with the litany of talent that you just pointed out that they just have on offense. Yeah. Well, first things first, you just said it. They have a litany of talent now. So it really is a situation where you're not going to say the offensive line is going to screw things up for everybody. The offensive line should be a really good unit. We're expecting better top half of the league, if not potentially cracking the top 10 overall as a unit for a, a line that really wasn't that bad last year. They had a couple of pieces that were big problem areas, but overall we've seen way worse years of Jets offensive lines than last year. And we think they got better. That unit improves. Your tight end room has gone a complete 180 in one offseason where you now have three new bodies that are going to be at the top of the depth chart that are substantially better than anything you had. That's a big improvement. The receiver room is improved. Plus you have guys coming back second year, Elijah Moore, another year in the system for Corey Davis. Zach Wilson, hopefully entering his second season and improving your running back room just got more dangerous, adding Brees Hall to Michael Carter. And I don't think it's going to be a situation where Brees Hall's getting 25 touches a game and Michael Carter's getting six. I think it's going to be more of like a, a, an, a 16 and a 12 situation. Even the, the most think about it like this last year in the NFL, no running back in the league got more than 19 carries per game. Not a single oh, wow. run. None of them. None of them. Jonathan Taylor had the most carries in the NFL per game last year at just over 19. So can I ask you a question? Was that the, yeah, was that the first time that had happened in a while? Or I can't say off the top of my head. I know it probably wasn't the year before because Derrick Henry went off the year before for well over 2000 yards at over close to 400 carries. So I think he was significantly higher, but over the last handful of years, there hasn't been too many running backs get close to that 20 carry a game mark. So even then you have two guys that are capable that are going to be splitting reps. Your running back room is going to be better. The whole offense is better. And I think for Michael Floor, the one thing that I really, really liked about him last year that gave me a lot of confidence, he is very, very willing to adapt their system to the players he has and throw in new wrinkles that aren't just, we run the wide zone Shanahan play action boot system. They'll do anything under the sun that they need to, to win. They don't need to be pigeonholed into we're going to be a wide zone team or we're going to be a play action team or we're going to be a downfield throwing team. They want to be everything. That's what I love about Mike LaFleur. He doesn't want his offense to have any limitations. He doesn't want to be, I'm just this type of offense. He wants to be able to do anything at any moment. He wants to have an offense that can smash you on the ground with the run game, put two tight ends in the game, back a defense off and control the clock when they need to. Great. We got the offensive line, the tight ends and the running backs to do that. They want to have an explosive passing offense that can score in three plays. There you go. You got guys all over the field that can catch the ball and take it for 80 and a quarterback who can launch it as far as he wants. Your offense can be whatever you want it to be. And from a schematic standpoint, he matches that up too. The Jets ran probably 18 different run concepts last year beyond wide zone. Just about to mention that. Yeah. They ran power, they ran trap, they ran counters, they ran anything you could fit in where they didn't want to just be, oh, we're just doing this. They did whatever they could on that particular game to work. They ran inside traps against Jacksonville like six times for 50-something for yards, and that was the game they rushed for more yards in one game than any other team in the league last year. So I'm, I'm really confident. I'm really excited for Michael Floor getting more 
weapons to this offense. And the, the biggest thing of all, you can draw up great plays. You can have a great play caller. You can have a great scheme designer. Everything can look good on paper. Once you get inside the lines and once that whistle gets blown, it's all about the dudes that you have on your roster and those X's and O's no longer matter as much. Now he has the dudes to pull off the plays. Now he has the dudes to execute. And I really think that's going to make a huge difference. I, I, I mean that I, if you, if you heard me, I was basically kind of giving a round of applause because that, I think that over everything that happened last year with Michael, Fur, that was what had me basically with goose, goosebumps because, you know, the little that I know about football, one of the things that always had me, like, I, I, I really like um, uh, the, um, Kyle Shanahan. One of the reasons mm-hmm. why I like Kyle Shanahan is because it seems like he always has something new that you never thought that he would do. You're always like, he does something and you're like, what? Why? And then it works and you're like, oh, okay. And then you're thinking to yourself, but why did he even try that? He did wide zone before and he went for like 40 yards. You want to know why Robert Sala runs the defense he does? Yeah. Because he's been around an offensive coach like Kyle Shanahan for so long that puts in so many rules and so many checks and so many plays that look exactly the same until they don't, that if you have way too many rules on defense, you'll never get into position. Yeah. So Robert Sala goes, I've seen what these offenses do. I've seen what, what they're allowed to do now. I've seen all the motions and the checks and the, the disguise and the, the trick plays that can happen and things that look the same. Screw keeping up with that. Screw trying to throw more on my defender's plate and make them run this super complicated defense and keep track of what this offense is trying to do. Let's just get our guys into positions to be in the right position and use their speed to go and close and rally to the ball. And we'll hope for the best. That's quite literally what Robert Sala's defensive philosophy is, is we're screw worrying about your passing coverage or your concept screw trying to man up or match up. We're going to send four hit men at your face on every single down. And we're going to have seven people behind it coming to run after the ball and hope we don't give up touchdowns. And, and, and that's so crazy that you, that you said that because again, two of the biggest reasons why I'm so hopeful was what you said about Michael LaFleur and what you just said about Robert Sala. The jets haven't had future thinking uh, uh, coaches and, and systems like this ever not ever like everybody that ever coached for the jets in my opinion had this stale old school we do it it's a complete staff yeah right they they view things from all angles it's not just todd bowles i'm a defensive coach and our defense is really going to be good but i'm going to have three offensive coordinators in three years like it's not that sort of mindset. The entire team is built with a collective vision. The entire team is built with a collective approach together. They all are trying to execute a common goal. And like I was saying earlier, we're about you need the offense to score quick. When the offense gets to an early lead, that means teams have to throw more to catch up. That plays into the coverage aspect of the defense where the defensive ends and the defensive line can feel what more free to rush the quarterback. They don't have to play run as much. You can play a more coverage defense behind it because you know, the pass is coming. It all feeds into each other. It all snowballs. And that's the type of team they want to have. That's why the Seahawks were so good for so long because they would get up to a 10, nothing lead on teams. And that was it. That's all they needed. Oh, you're up. You're up two two scores. Good game. Game over. See you next week because you're going to have to throw now and you can't throw. So good luck. It's I'm 
I'm really excited for this team. The Jets have not had a vision, a collective vision, or this is the word that really that sticks to me. The Jets have not had an identity like this yes. in a very, very long time. And the fact yes. that they now have a collective identity through their GM, through their coach, through both phases of the ball, special teams included on top of that, everything is collective. Everything is intentional. And I'm, I have not been this hopeful maybe ever. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you, bro. I'm definitely here with you. And uh, yeah, we dug into this 10th pick uh, Garrett Wilson a little bit. I think, I think the only thing we didn't do was kind of um, just give me a little breakdown on, on what Wilson is for me. I, as much as, uh, as I know you said that he's a, he's a jack of all trades. I think one of the things that kind of stood out to me a lot, which, which, probably uh, in my evaluation of him kind of uh, threw me off a little bit was the fact that he was six feet. And then I just couldn't understand how this man at six feet was like a high point guy was the yeah, guy. He plays um, so much bigger than his size. Yeah. It's, you it's know, impressive. It's yeah, really me, impressive. Give, yeah. Give me a little bit of a, a, a breakdown on this guy himself. Like, yeah. As a wide um, so here's kind of how I view Garrett Wilson, where this is a, a, comparison that kind of came up in my head a couple of days ago and it was one of those things where when I first thought of it I was like oh no I'm that doesn't make any sense I'm being crazy and then I went and looked it up and it was like dead on and it really kind of confused me he's kind of like a more polished Percy Harvin where, come on yeah where I think Percy was better with the ball in his hands let me be very clear okay. I don't think Garrett right. Wilson's the type of guy where you're giving him handoffs out of the backfield and he's you know can run like a running back or things like that but he's taken jet sweeps and he's made big plays, including touchdowns on them. He makes plays with the ball in his hands underneath breaking tackles wise. He's almost exactly the same size. Garrett Wilson's 5'11, 183 at the combine. Percy Harvin was 5'11, like 194. So they're they're almost identical size-wise. Their athleticism and agility testing is almost identical. Percy Harvin ran a 4-4-1. Garrett Wilson ran a 4-3-8. They both had like 38-inch verticals. Uh their 10 yard split numbers were within like 0.02 of each other. So athletically, they're very, very similar place stylistically. I think there's a little bit of a difference, but even as Percy Harvin's NFL career got on, he got better as a route runner. He got better as a wide receiver where he was more a wide receiver than he was as much of a gadget player. And I think for the jets in particular, he's like, I, I would say either a more polished Percy Harvin that isn't good with this, uh, the ball in his hands, or he's like super Saiyan Brandon Ayuk. And <laughs> so I, I, I'll take either of those. Right. I, I'm I, it's he can, like I said earlier, he can win short. He can win over the middle. He can win deep. He can win on contested catches. He can win by just chopping somebody up with a route and getting open, or he can just run clean by people. And so hmm. it's, there really is not many things this guy can't do. And I think now I'm trying really hard not to have my, you know, Jets rose green colored glasses come in and bias me <laughs> after the fact. Cause Garrett Wilson was my number three receiver. It's not like mm. I didn't like him. Like he was like, I had my top three was Chris Olave one, Jamison Williams two, and then Garrett Wilson three. Um, or no, excuse me. I had Christian Watson two, then Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams would have been two if he wasn't hurt. Um, but yeah, I like Garrett Wilson a lot. Like he was my, top he was in my top three receivers and those three at the top I really had a separation between the rest of the uh, group and I think I just didn't I I knocked him a little bit because he didn't have one outright dominant elite trait but he had like everything yeah. ah. else was above average at least 
And so I think that's kind of where I was a little more down on him than I probably should have been. And even though I'm saying that he was my third overall receiver, he was my 13th overall player in the class. So it's not like I didn't like the guy. I I felt, I felt the same way. Chris will tell you that when I, when I ranked, um, went wide receivers, I had, I was high on Drake London myself and Garrett Wilson was my, was my second wide receiver. I was not as high on, on Olave as you were. And we will have a conversation about Christian Watson at some point. <laughs> when he uh, but, becomes uh, the next Devontae Adams in Green Bay, we sure will. <laughs> we, we will see. That's not what Sharman thinks, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I know. Sharman, I love you. And I, and I will love the opportunity to tell you I was right when it happens. I, I, hey, I'm, I'm here for it, brother. I'm here for it. But yeah, man, I mean, I mean, I, I, this, this is... This is, you know, breaking down these two players again. Getting players of these of this caliber, where the yep. Jets got them, is incredible, right? And then you hear, Do it. oh, the Jets start are the music. Back in the first round, what the uh, hell? Bump. What? <laughs> what are they doing? Uh, like? And then you look up, uh, and then bump, you're like, uh, bump, Andrew uh, Golden's guy is sitting right there. It's like sitting right uh, there. Like, how? How is this happening? And they were. I I believe. If if I'm if I'm not wrong, weren't they going to draft Jermaine Johnson at ten if Wilson wasn't there? Yeah, yep. he just said that. Yep. It's crazy. He was their eighth overall player. Sheesh. that's amazing. Man, they got three of their top eight players in this first round. Incredible. How? How you sit in a draft room? You do all this work. And you're bet you're saying to yourself, the possibility of us getting one of those guys, that's all we need is one. Right? And then you get oh, up yeah. on the and you get on you get to the day and you get the draft three of them. And and I've heard people talk about how the Jets were so elated in the draft room that a lot of people that saw the video of the draft room was like, mm-hmm. Yeah, these dudes know they did they onto something. Like they knew uh-huh. that something happened that normally don't happen, you know, because because even in the most happiest of times and relaxed of times, that it seems like they always are really. We've we've seen Joe Douglas has come to the Jets. There's something about this front office and organizations that's been kind of rare. Number one, the whole Lucky. thing with the whole. Yeah, that that's one thing. Let's too. call it what it is. Call, let's let's <laughs> let's call a spade a spade here. They are freaking lucky. Look at the <laughs> haul they got for Jamal Adams, and in Robin hindsight, Swift. how good that was. Then you yeah. do it a year later for Sam Darnold. <laughs> you have yeah. you get Jordan Whitehead in free agency for seven and oh, a half million dollars yeah. a year. Oh my god. Joe Douglas is playing with a loaded deck. I mean, that's the only explanation here. Oh, he has a rabbit foot or multiple rabbit feet. So, you know, I don't get it. He's got a rabbit farm at this point. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible how how things have just fallen. But again, you're seeing, right? You're seeing all the, the manifestation of everything Right, like you're saying, the the luck and everything with the players and the drafting and everything, right? That right. I'm talking yeah. about just the organizational health. 
the 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 you what you've been talking about the fact that the the Jets beat have basically been shep- like he's their shepherd. <laughs> they, yeah. He leads them wherever the hell he feels like they need to go, and they follow. He's <laughs> literally the dude in the Geico commercial with the fishing rod. Like, oh, <laughs> you, oh, you got to be quicker than that. Oh, you want some news? You got to be quicker than that. <laughs> it's basically what it is, and it's incredible that nobody saw any of this coming. It happened, you know, and then they won up themselves on top of all of that with the Jermaine Johnson pick, because in my opinion, that was incredibly out, out of whack with anything. I remember people the night before, again, people telling me on my way home, I'm leaving my building and, and people are like, uh, yeah, we're waiting for the Jets to mess up the draft. And I'm walking away. I'm like, all right, man, you know, I'm walking away. And then in the like the first round, I'm yep. I'm looking at that and I'm saying, Jermaine Johnson is still here. How? How is Jermaine Johnson still on this board? And guys, let me let me just be clear here. There was absolutely nobody that I follow on Twitter that was a bigger fan of Jermaine Johnson than Andrew Golden. Actually, he was the one that I saw write up about, uh, about him first. And I was like, I got to go watch this dude. Because I'm like, huh? You know, please, Andrew, give, give us the lowdown on this guy. Because, I mean, we know the deal, right? You know, we know what he is now. But what, <laughs> what got you caught up with him? What made you, like take, uh, you know, take a closer yeah. look at this kid. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll be very, very frank. Jermaine Johnson was my favorite player in this entire draft class. Now, not mm. when I say that, I don't mean I had him ranked number one overall when he was the best prospect or whatever. But in terms of favorite, who I just love to watch more than anybody else and who I fell in love with immediately as soon as I turned the tape on, it was Jermaine Johnson for me this year, and it wasn't even a competition. There was no one else that I could even consider to be close to him in my eyes in terms of guys that I wanted on this team. I'll tell you how my love for Jermaine Johnson started. It started all the way back in January, Hmm. however many months ago that was, when the Jets were first announced that they were going to be one of the two coaching staffs at the Senior Bowl. And so getting ready for the Senior Bowl, I went through the rosters and I was looking for guys that were at potential positions of need trying to get my initial work done for the draft after the season had wrapped up. And I saw that the lions had this guy on their roster. Unfortunately, he wasn't on the jets roster, but I think it worked out. Um, Hmm. They had this guy on their roster named Jermaine Johnson from Florida state. I hadn't seen anything about him. I hadn't heard anything about him, but just going through my list of guys was the new defensive end was going to be likely a top draft pick or one of the top needs getting through the list of guys there. I'd already been through some of the other top guys. I had seen Hutchinson. I'd seen Thibodeau. I'd seen Carl Loftus. Um, at that point, I had seen Majay Sanders. I'd seen Kingsley Anigbari. And there was one other guy that I had seen, Drake Jackson. So I had seen all of those guys uh, tape-wise before I got to Jermaine. And then I got to Jermaine, and I turned on. The first game I ever watched of him was his game against Miami. He had three sacks in that game. Hmm. And... He put on a move for, for anyone listening, feel free to head on over to the Jets X Factor YouTube and you can go watch me break down 50 minutes of Jermaine Johnson tape, including this play that I'm going to talk about. Um, <laughs> shameless plug, no big deal. Uh, he puts on. <laughs> we like it. 
<laughs> oh yeah. He puts on a double swipe move where for people that don't know a double swipe move um, sounds exactly like oh, it is. Yeah, you're, swiping, you're swiping both of your hands at the same time. It's not designed to be a move where you're really trying to overpower somebody. You're not like getting under your shoulders and, and reaching down and really stretching and benching and, and trying to push through somebody. It's really more about just knocking a dude's hands out of the way and then going around him. So Jermaine is going against Miami. He's in a wide nine. He's going against the right tackle and he gets a good jump off the snap and he sees there's a lane to the inside running back is setting up with outside chip help. So there's no point for him to try and continue to go outside. And Jermaine is a very smart player. He is one of my, if not my favorite things about him is you watch him play and he looks like a madman that's just firing around the ball, just willy nilly overpowering everybody. But then you slow everything down and you see everything is deliberate. And mm. that's like, he's a, he's in, he's an aggressive genius. Like is mm. the best way I would describe him. Um, he sets up to the inside. He goes to do this inside counter and he hits the double swipe and he's so strong just naturally, just mm. without even having to try. And he gets such a good landing spot up under the tackles armpits with this double swipe <laughs> that he spins him 360 degrees like a top. Yep. Quite literally pushes the dude's arms and throws up under him and forklifts him so strong by just swiping his hands that it throws the dude in a circle. And Jermaine Johnson's able to spin off his back, reach one arm out, knock the quarterback to the ground like he clotheslined him. Sack fumble. <laughs> Unfortunately, Miami picks it back up. But there's this huge devastating sack against a double team against a chip and an offensive tackle. Jermaine, yeah. the only time in my entire history of watching football, I've ever seen someone use a double swipe that spins somebody 360 degrees ever, ever. Yeah. I've never seen it before. I've seen, I've seen Reggie white. I've seen Khalil Mack. I've seen Lawrence Taylor clips. I've seen Deacon Jones head slapping people. I, you know, I can down the line of great people that have rushed the passer. I've never seen a double swipe move, spin a guy like a top ever. That stuck out to me immediately. <laughs> then you go into this dude's measurables. You look at him from an athletic profile. For me in particular, people can have their arguments. People can have their feelings. That's fine. Believe what you want to believe. That's all well and good. When it comes to analytics, I don't give a damn about analytics for pass rushers. And let me tell you why. Because Let's it go. does not factor in scheme. It doesn't factor in situation. And we have no idea what the criteria is. No. Pass, pass rush win rate. Okay, great. What do we know is a pass rush win? What do you mm. constitute? What, what does that mean? What is, what, is the, what is the quantifying factor? What is the difference between a win and a loss? What is the difference between a win and a stalemate? We don't know. We just hear, oh, you beat the guy in front of you. Well, what if you're like Jermaine Johnson and you play at Florida State and you're asked to play contain against the run almost to a point that it hurts you? So that anytime you even sniff a run play, you got to extend your arms and lock out and stack and shed and you can't rush the passer. Is that a loss? You're following the rules of your defense. You're doing what your coach has taught you to do. You are doing when you go and you leave your game and you go into practice the next day and you go into the film room and the coach is going play by play and everyone's getting graded. Jermaine's going to get a plus from his coaches because he did his job and played contain. He's going to get a negative and pass rush win weight because he didn't beat his man. Yep. So we're using that to tell the whole story. Hmm. But. Aiden Hutchinson had a second round pick opposite him who would have been a first round pick as another edge rusher, a first round safety and multiple other players on the defense that were solid players and likely to get drafted in the future. Jermaine Johnson was the only player drafted from Florida State this year. Yep. He's the only true. one. 
There's no Bridget one else Robert. on his defense. There's no one near him. <laughs> he's doing this all by himself. He's the only guy Florida State's de- anyone playing Florida State's defense has to worry. He's the only one they have to consider. 12 sacks, 17 and a half tackles for lost in an ACC Defensive Player of the Year award in his first full season as a starter. Oh, wow. oh, he's he's 23 years old. He was 17 days older when he got drafted than Khalil Mack was. Does anyone care how old Khalil yeah. Mack was when Khalil Mack was drafted? <laughs> nope. Would anyone Nobody. go back and not draft Khalil Mack because he was 23 and change when he was drafted? <laughs> I don't. How, be honest, no, I don't Chandler think. Jones is getting paid $17 million a year at 33. And we're worried about Jermaine Johnson's age. I really I, don't I'm, care about a guy's age because listen, if he makes it to the next, his next contract, who cares? It's a successful draft pick. Right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Half the, half of the first round picks don't even get to that. Right. They don't even get their fifth year it's, options picked up. So yes, if he's sir. 20, if he's 28 versus 27, when he's signing a second deal, that means he was good enough to sign a second deal. Cool. I'll take like, it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll take it. I'm, I'm not upset with that whatsoever. And on top of that with Jermaine in particular, hmm. I have never seen a guy that is, his size, six foot four, six, six foot four and a half, six five, 254 pounds, 34 inch arms, runs a four five four forty with a one five seven ten yard split, which is in the 97th percentile for oh, every single defensive end in the history of the NFL. I've never seen anyone with that athleticism, that build. He shows great flexibility on tape and his ankles and his hips. He transitions from pass rushing to flattening to the quarterback as he's completing his moves. This is something, this is why I didn't like Aiden Hutchinson was because Hutchinson has to complete his move. And then if he is not already cleared in a position to get to the quarterback, he doesn't have the agility in his ankles or his hips to be able to flatten and bend and get to the quarterback without fully beating them immediately off the snap. You watch Jermaine and I bring this up a lot in my review. You'll see every single time while he is, he hasn't even cleared the tackle yet. He's already kicking his legs out to flatten. He's not even fully around them. He's dipping his shoulder runner to try and turn the corner easier. So where as soon as he is past the tackle, as soon as he clears them, he's already angled at the quarterback and he's already ready to take them down. You got to have some serious agility and flexibility to do that. I don't know anyone failing with his level of technique, his level of athleticism, his level of flexibility, and his motor. You have those four things as a pass rusher. You're going to succeed. Jermaine has all four in spades. Why don't people like him? What? Because the, because the nerds said he doesn't get enough sacks in less than two and a half seconds. You know how many people get sacks in less than two and a half seconds? No one, nobody. You know know how rare that is. You know how good (laughs) you have to be to consistently be getting sacks in less than two and a half seconds. If all your sacks are coming in less than two and a half seconds, you're the first pick in the draft in every single draft class ever. Ever. You're the best defensive end prospect of all time. If you're, if all of your sacks are coming within two and a half seconds, that's not how football works. That's not how the game is structured. And it's why it drives me, it drives me nuts. And it really drove me nuts with Jermaine. As you can see, I've gone on this tangent because <laughs> it's, I like it. And it's so, it's such a rudimentary, rudimentary way of looking at things where it's just, yeah. you see a number and you trust it and you don't question it. I'm not here saying all analytics are bad. I'm not here saying never trust any analytic number or anything else. A lot of them have value, but it's all contextual. You have to know where the analytics are really matter and where they don't. For pass rushers, it's so much variable, so many variables at play where you don't know the scheme someone's in. You don't know the talent around them. You don't know the offenses they're playing, how many opportunities they had to even get those sacks. It's really hard to judge, and you don't know the judging criteria. 
If we don't know what is being counted as a win, how can we sit here and judge someone's pass rush win rate? I'm not going to go by that. I'm going to go by the tape. And the tape shows me that Jermaine Johnson is the next Robert Quinn. I want that on my team. Ooh. Oh, okay. Goodness. Yeah, Man, I got two quick questions for you. Number one, who did, how did you have your, your defensive end guys uh, rated your top five? Mm-hmm. And number two, why do you think Jermaine Johnson dropped so low to 26? Uh, first things first, my top five pass rushers were Kayvon Thibodeau, one, Jermaine Johnson, two, Aiden Hutchinson, three, George Karloftis, four, and Arnold Debichetti, five. I uh, feel pretty good about that top five overall. Um, and I think Jermaine fell because there was a run on wide receivers. Mm. And we saw at 10, 11, 12, three receivers go off the board. Then you had mm. the Eagles in their A.J. Brown trade. And all of that happened. That forced the Titans to then take Traylon Burks. You had other guys go higher than were expected. Uh, the Packers didn't really need an edge rusher. You have to look at, this is the other thing to remember, Chris. No defensive ends were picked over him outside of the top three. So you had you had Hutchinson, Walker, and Thibodeau go in the top five. Jermaine was the fourth defensive end off the board at 26th overall. There you go. So it's not like that there were guys that were drafted over him as pass rushers. It's not like you had a team sit there and take Karloftis before him and say, oh, we want a defensive end, but we're not taking Jermaine. I think there was other positions that got bumped up to a premium. I think you had the run on receivers start. I think you had less of a need for pass rushers in the middle of the draft. And I think you had teams worry about the one year of production and get too worried about the analytics, which, and I can understand those concerns. He's not a perfect prospect. He's not completely without fault or completely without issue or, or anything that you could hope for by any means, no prospect is perfect, but I think teams focus too much on his age. And I think they focused a little too much on potentially his numbers or there's some other things going on. Maybe he had a bad interview and some team leaked it and it turned into something bigger than it was. I don't know. And I'm not going to go around speculating on something I don't know. Right. But what I do know is that the Jets had him eighth overall. And so if we all are sitting here going, Robert Sala and Joe Douglas are great. Let's build the statue. Everyone's coming off the street saying, look how great the Jets did. And the two guys that we feel more confident in to run this team than anybody else in the last decade, at least if almost certainly longer, are we going to go against them now? No. Are we going to, are we going to sit there and and not trust their judgment now when every single defensive lineman Robert saw has ever drafted has turned into gold. This is the guy he loved. This is the guy that when he was available at 15, he was smacking on Joe Douglas's shoulder saying, go get Jermaine. Go get him. He's available. We didn't think he was going to be available. The Jets tried from the 15th pick to the 26th pick for over an hour straight to trade up with every single team in the order. Every single one they called trying to get a deal in place to get Jermaine Johnson. It took until the 26th pick and somehow he was still available with the 26th pick. That's luck. I don't, yeah, Yeah. I don't know why he fell. I, I can't pin it on one way or the other. I know that if you're really that worried about his age, he only has 16 career starts because he played Juco and then he played Georgia as a backup and at, at 16 career starts. Who cares if he's 23? He's barely played. He's got a fresher body than most of the 21 year olds that played three years at Alabama and then come in and, and got beat up in practice that entire time. So I'm, I don't know. 
I could I could sit here all night <laughs> and just shoot down. We could this could be you know shoot and skeet. Pull, give me a Jermaine take, and, and I'll shoot it out of the sky. But it's what we got some other guys to talk about. Let's talk yes. about some of the other guys in this class because they deserve to be talked about too. And yeah, I've talked about I, Jermaine so much over the last week. I think I'm good for at least at least a day, at least maybe. <laughs> all right. So let's and I and I love every. I loved I loved every bit of it, man. I really did, man. And and like you said, uh, again, we were all over like crazy. We couldn't believe it. I remember I kind of fell asleep, right, Chris? And then I yep. text Chris. I was like, "Huh? <laughs> what? What happened?" <laughs> I just tweeted the gif of uh, Jim Car- uh, Jim Carrey in um, the the Truman Show when he's just kneeling in the rain and the rain's just washing over him. That was me <laughs> when they announced the pick. I think so. I think if if I saw it and I and I missed it, I would have I would have guessed that you're somewhere where rain was falling and you were kneeling outside in the mud. Yeah, the rain the, the rain, rain was my tears, and and it was it was a category five hurricane. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, so, but right, let, so yeah, let's let's the, move uh, on, man. Yeah, let's get to our go second ahead, round pick, Brees Hall, running back. What's your take, man? I mean, yeah, again. Um, I love the How player. Do that? How does that happen? Yeah, I love the player. Um, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, let's go. I would not have taken a running back this high. Mm. It's just me. Again, I'm, I'm, this is exactly what I said on Oklahoma drill, and I'm going to basically repeat it verbatim here because it's exactly how I feel, and it hasn't changed. I would not have taken a running back that high. For me, mm. I don't care who it is. I don't care who the running back is or how good they are. They grow on trees. They're a dime a dozen. They're not getting more than 20 touches per game anyway. I think you could have found a running back. Is he going to be to Brees Hall's caliber? Definitely not. But you could have had a serviceable running back to pair with Michael Carter and factor that into your offense. Okay. So, There's so the, before you move on, yeah. sorry, sorry to cut no, you go off. Ahead. Yeah. I, gotta, I, I think we need to dig into this a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Because, man, you, I got to say this. You're one of my guys. Like, if if I gotta learn, I always read your stuff. I always follow. You. I always listen to your podcast because I you're one of my guys. I like, but I Thank you. I, I, I gotta that. go. I I gotta go against you a little bit here. And yeah, the, the no, reason the only the only reason why I will is because what Joe Douglas did here, in my opinion, is not just about the running back. I don't think it's specifically just about the my position. Mind, bro. You're reading right? my mind. <laughs> I think I yep. think it's I think it's because of the guy. I think mm-hmm. they needed somebody that could do what he does at what at the level that he could do it. Because the whole time in the offseason, the conversation surrounding the Jets and what the Jets needed from Joe Douglas and Robert Sala goes explosive plays, explosive plays, explosive ding, plays, ding, ding. explosive plays. Who else? But the most explosive running back last year in college football, the draft. If you're gonna if you're gonna draft somebody to change the game for you, like you were talking a while ago about the about the fact that we have the the tied the bookend tight ends yep. and the bookend wide receivers. Add the bookend running backs, huh? Like incredible, man. What do you think of that? I mean, I understand your take about running backs and. Listen, I'm not going to take that away from you because in any other circumstance, I will go with you. Yeah. What no, do you Charmin, think of, of what I said? Charmin, I completely and totally agree with you. 
Like, I, let me be very upfront. Like, I completely right. agree with you. And I'm, I'm going to expand on that because you're 100% right. I, like I said, would not have taken a running back if I was a GM, if I was making the calls, if I was in that position and I was building a team. It's not how I would personally go about doing it. But I'm not Joe Douglas. <laughs> I'm not in a GM chair. I do not have a 53-man roster that I have to worry about or a second-year quarterback that I have to surround with talent. So hmm. I am not in that chair. So let's look at this as in reality. It's exactly what I said on Oklahoma Drill. We are in the reality that Brees Hall is going to be a New York Jet. So since right. we are in the re reality, let's look at it for what it is. Holy freaking hell, this offense is about to be stupid. Yep. Oh, my goodness. There is not a better guy for this offense in this backfield than Brees Hall. You had hmm. said you think it's about the guy more so than it is a running back. A hundred percent. A hundred thousand percent. Because Brees Hall is the guy that can take it 80. Brees Hall is the guy that's going to give you your chunk plays, that's going to give you your explosive plays. We love Michael Carter. We think he's a great back. We think he had the talent to be a lead back and that he could have been the back one and they could have had someone to supplant him instead of him supplanting somebody else. But as good as Michael Carter is and as explosive as he is, he's a guy that's going to score a 45-yard rushing touchdown or a 50-yard rushing touchdown, not an 80-yard rushing touchdown. He's not the guy that the second you get him into the open level has another gear to separate down the field and then it's goodbye. That's Brees Hall. And there really was only outside of maybe Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and Walker. Pierre Strong, uh, who was a smaller school guy at South Diego State or San Jose State, I think actually, uh, that the Patriots took, who was another guy with 4-3 speed, but he was lower competition. And he's not 217 pounds like Brees Hall is. And he's not the NCAA's NCAA all-time leading consecutive touchdown scorer with 24 straight games with a touchdown score with, you know, with dang near close to 4,000 rushing yards these past two seasons combined. There's, a, there's a lot that made Brees Hall a, an attractive player for the Jets in the second round to add to their offense. And this is the last thing that I wanted to mention. You can afford to take a running back in the second round when you've built your roster so damn well, like Joe Douglas has, they didn't have that many needs. Mm. Look at, look at where their team was. What are the, in terms of absolute desperate, this team cannot go on. They don't have anybody to play the position. They didn't have anybody. They had no holes. Mm. Am I, would I have been excited? Am I excited about LaMarcus Joyner starting at free safety? No, no, but it's a body and you have yep. Ashton Davis behind him, and you have Will Parks as well, and you have Elijah Riley, and you have these other guys that could fill the role. You have Jordan Whitehead. What I'm, Am I overwhelmed about the idea of Sheldon Rankins playing starting reps again? Not necessarily, nope. but there could be a lot worse. It's not like they had nobody at defensive tackle. So hmm. look at the roster. What other hole did they have? What other, what, who would they have taken that's going to make a bigger impact, that's going to be a bigger factor for this team in, uh, at, with that overall pick, then Brees Hall, who, who was there to be had that would have been a better draft choice than Brees Hall anyway? That's what I'm trying for, for people to figure out. You already got a defensive end. You got your corner. You got your receiver. Your tight end room is, is stacked to the gills, and you added to that later in the draft anyway. What else was there to do? Well, so I'm, I'm really sitting here thinking it was, again, it's not what I would have done. I was surprised that it happened because I really thought that the Jets would be a little more down the board with their approach. 
but they got a guy that's the perfect fit for their scheme that adds an, a dynamic element to their offense that they didn't have in their running game before. That's going to take the load off their other running back. Who's going to be an effective weapon. He's a guy that can make plays out of the backfield. His pass protection is great. And he's, he's the second coming of Reggie Bush. That, that's, that's who I see when I look at Brees Hall. Uh, when I'm thinking back in my head, who is, who does this guy remind me of? Is he quite the same receiver as Reggie Bush? No. But when I see them run, when I see the cuts that they make, when I see the dead legs and the speed in the open field and the balance and all of that, it's Reggie Bush. You can get Reggie Bush at 36th overall. Okay. I'm cool with that. (laughs) We don't have any other needs. We don't have any other glaring holes. All we got to do is give up a fifth round pick and we're done making draft picks at 111 anyway. Like it, we're, we're done early in the fourth round. We don't even use any of the extra fifth round picks. Okay. You gave up a fifth round pick. Who cares? They didn't yeah. trade up. They didn't trade up a future two. They didn't trade up a three. They gave up a fifth, a fifth round pick. They, clearly the jets viewed this off season as we're closer than we think. Let's go get the last few impact players to put us over the top. That's what they did. I, I can't hate him for that. They have a plan. They had an identity. They had a vision. They executed. Yep. That's you want? it. Yeah. Yeah. And and Chris and I had multiple conversations talking about about how this this off season was basically it. There was time for the injection of whatever it took for the to take this team or this organization. To why they tried to, to trade for Tyreek? That's why exactly. they tried to trade for Debo. Yep. Yeah, and everything he they did, everything that that Joe Douglas did was basically of the mentality that this is it. We gotta do this now. And the ultra aggressive, um, um, in my opinion, um, moves that they did kind of just showed you that they were on the same wavelength. And as a yep. fan base, I guess, uh, even as a fan base, which is kind of crazy, right? Because, you know, most of most of our fans are kind of cuckoo. I love you guys. <laughs> but it's, it's, well, a, it's a pre- Charmin, Charmin, it's a prerequisite. It's it? like it's required. Yeah, we're all crazy. That's why we're sitting here. That's why we're talking about the Jets. Uh, but, but you know, the, that we just knew it. Looking at everything that happened last year, even if it wasn't the overwhelming, like everybody came out of the season being like, oh my God, they're just about to make a run. We just knew things have, had changed. And there were so many different breadcrumbs uh, uh, so much breadcrumbs kind of leading us that way. And with the moves that they made, it kind of, it's convincing to me that they felt the same way. And um, with the, with the, the, the tight end moves um, with the picks um, also, like I said, with the bridge hall pick, but after that going in and getting a tight end, like um, Jeremy Ruckett, which nobody like people. I, I heard certain some people talk about him. Um, the other kid uh, was talked about more. I, Trey McBride, name, right? McBride, thank you. McBride yeah. was the name. That was it. Everyone's like McBride, McBride, McBride. And in my opinion, he was a good player, very good player. Um, um, in my opinion, uh, I did not do a lot of rocket stuff. The little that I did, I saw a lot of blocking. So that kind of turned yep. me off. Like I was like, I, I wouldn't, I don't want to say it turned me off, but I was like, you know. Didn't eh. catch your attention. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, so when they called his name, 
I wasn't like really over the moon about it. You know, I was really excited about the the connection, the Long Island connection or whatever. Right. But what did you see about this kid that kind of t- told you that the Jets, the reason why uh, Joe Douglas loved this kid so much? Yeah, um, I honestly, I think it's really easy to see. And first things first, when you are a tight end in this offense, you have to block. Like period, point blank. True. There is no discussion. It is not. It is. It is like a, you have to be crazy to be a Jets fan. You have to block to be a tight end in their offense. Both are requirements. <laughs> um, so he's a great blocker. He's an, he's a fantastic blocker. And if you listen to him talk, he was a receiver in high school, and he became a tight end later in his. Uh, high school career went to Ohio state specifically because he wanted to develop, to be a complete player. He wanted to be Mm -hmm. a guy that never had to come off the field. He wanted to be a guy that you can go in and you can keep me in on first down and I can be in the run game and I'm never going to have to be uh, uh, just a pass catching tight end or just a, you know, this type of tight end. He wanted to be fully developed. And when you are a true freshman and you're in practice against chase young and Nick Bosa every day, you're going to have to learn to get better as a blocker really fast. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to learn what it's going to take to, to have that mentality and that willingness to be a blocker and, and primetime football real quick when you're going up against those two dudes. So he got some great development work at Ohio state from that aspect. And you look at their offense. This is a situation for Jeremy Rucker. He didn't have that many receptions. I think he only had 35 catches in his career. If I'm remembering correctly, um, Sounds about right. so he really, he has not been, was not that heavily targeted. But look at all the receiving talent that Ohio State had. Hmm. They had two receivers go with the 10th and 11th picks in the draft this past Hmm. year. They have another one next year that's probably going higher than both of them. And Jackson Smith and Jigba. They have Hmm. two great running backs. Master Teague, I think, was a late round draft pick, if not a UDFA. And um, Travion Henderson is going to be like a top 50 pick, if not first round pick in two years. Hmm. So they had an amount of skill talent on their offense those guys are just going to get the ball in the way their offense is designed the tight end isn't featured nearly as much they're more featured as that blocker but even though he only had about 35 career catches he made some really good plays while he did it he splashed some really natural hands as a receiver you can tell that he was a former a former wide receiver in his route running and his ability to sink his hips and how crispy can run his routes he's shown some great hands had some one hand catches that are as good as any wide receivers you'll see and he's an excellent blocker i just think this is a guy that he fits the scheme perfectly perfectly fits the scheme he's good from that aspect where you're going to have a guy and this is really important. Like I kept saying for the Jets, they want guys to be versatile. It applies to their tight ends too. Whether Uzama or Conklin has to be subbed out, Ruckert can fill in for either of them. It's not going to be a situation true. where, oh, CJ Uzama is mainly our quote unquote blocking tight end. He's our main inline guy. And, and Conklin's the guy that gets split out and plays more on the outside and is the wing. Well, if either one of those guys need a breather, you put Jeremy Ruckert in their spot and you're not going to miss a beat. You're not going to have to have a guy that's a, a square peg in a round hole, like a Kenny Yaboa, where Kenny Yaboa is a, you know, a solid guy. He's a solid player, but he's not a blocker, and you're never going to confuse him for one. So you can't sub him in as a, as a reserve, as a backup, in the same way that you could a Jeremy Ruckert, where if it's first down and you want to call a run play, what did I say earlier? Michael Four wants no limitations on his offense. He wants to be able to call any play at any time. That includes when the backups are in. So you need a backup for your tight ends. Here's Jeremy Ruckert. He's available at the end of the third round. I thought the value was, was really good. Um, 
he was I'm trying to think of my tight end rankings off the top of my head. I think he was my tight end four. I know mm-hmm. I had McBride one. I had Jelani Woods two. And then I think I had likely three and Ruckert four, but it was close between the two of them. I, he would have been a top 75 pick in my eyes. So getting him at 101 is really solid value. It fits the scheme. We got to remember that Conklin and Uzama both only signed three-year deals with knowing mm-hmm. Joe Douglas. Those are two-year deals with an out. So right. that's a future as well. CJ Uzama was an older free agent signing. He's towards the end of, I think he's like 28, if not close to 30. So there's your future. Now it's you have Ruckert already in the wings. You let CJ Uzama walk after two, three years. You have your next starting tight end already in the building. I, I love it. I loved it a lot. I really, really like this pick. I like their whole draft. There's not a, <laughs> let, let, me, let me just say this. There's not a single pick in this class I don't like. There we go. I, I literally like, I, I very much like, if not love, every single one of the picks that they made including the last two. I can't wait to talk about those two. Like, honestly, I'm so excited to talk about Max Mitchell and Michael Clevins. I hope it's, it's showing up for the people at home. I'm like coming out of my skin. I'm so excited. <laughs> so go ahead, give us a little preview of, of both of those guys. Oh yeah. Okay. So the last two guys that Jets drafted both fell into the, um, the category of guys that I had not seen or heard of before the draft process. So I went in completely and totally blind other than knowing these guys are going to be on the jets and I'm either going to come out of this reaction going, this was a dumb pick or this was a great pick. Both times I came out going, this was a great pick. Doesn't happen often with the jets, but with Joe Douglas, it seems to be a theme. Um, Max Mitchell in particular, Louisiana Lafayette offensive tackle has played left tackle, right tackle and right guard throughout his career had starts at all three. Um, Very, 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 I can't ex- uh, emphasize this enough, very, very good pass blocker. Mm. One of the best pass blockers. I like. One, he was up there with some of the first round guys with his wow. pass blocking skills. Yeah, that good. I'm, I'm serious. His feet are, are excellent. He's got quick feet to mirror his hands and his technique with his hands and his strikes and his ability to operate independently. You'll see a lot of guys when they're offensive tackles. You never want to see an offensive tackle. People take notes at home here. You never, ever, ever want to see an offensive tackle strike with both hands at the same time. Yep. That's, that's L- death sentence number one. Yep. Death sentence number one, you lock your hips out, you get too far off balance. If you miss, if they swat your hands away, you need to have a hand free to recover and to reset. So Max Mitchell has some of the best independent hand use I saw out of anybody in this draft class. They are, he's got boxer hands where it's just like Floyd Mayweather, duck and weave, hit him with the jab here, reset. It's, it's really, really good. He's a solid run blocker. It's not, I wouldn't say it's his best aspect, but he's not uh, weak in that aspect by any means. His pass blocking is something special and it's something you can build off. So when I'm looking at as a a swing tackle, as a backup guy, as maybe a future starter, but a guy that has experience playing both sides of the ball, both sides of the line has been training all off season, playing left and right tackle and feels very comfortable in his own words being able to play both at any note at any moment's notice, that's a really good backup as a swing tackle for me. And if you really want to see what Max Mitchell's about, go watch the Texas game. He had a game where he played against the University of Texas at Texas. And there's a point later in the third quarter. I don't know why he was doing this. Clearly it was something that his coaches were instructing him. It's not just something he would do by himself, but he's literally on alternate plays going between left and right tackle. 
like uh, let alone flipping on drives let alone flipping you know later in the half it was like okay we're in this drive we got past midfield we're into texas territory here's max mitchell at left tackle we're going to call a quick little swing pass it's going to get six yards everybody line up and max mitchell's on the right side now we're running an outside zone. He's lead blocking to the right. Pick, pick it up. First down. Okay. 35-yard line. Driving on Texas again. Oh, there's left tackle. Now we're back over on the other side. Oh, it was a completion. Back to right tackle. Oh, it was a run play. Back to left tackle. It was like seven straight plays. that He just went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. He didn't skip a beat against Texas. A small school make the argument. Sure, that was the best team he faced all year. Was going back and forth between left and right in the middle of a drive and was fine. That wow. okay, so 111th overall, we're getting that guy, yeah, yeah, that's damn good value <laughs> to me. I don't care that I didn't saw him, I, that I didn't know who he was before. I saw the tape after and it blew me away. And holy Jeez. crap, is Michael Clemens about to be a goddamn monster in this team? Like, <laughs> I thought Jermaine was my guy, and then I saw this dude. This dude is something else. I'm gonna like. The Jets got Michael Clemens in the fourth round because he's 24 years old and he had some off-field issues a few years ago at Texas A&M when he first got there. His tape is top 50. His tape is easily top 50. If he was clean off the field and younger, we're talking probably top of the second round, maybe end of the first. Wow. Yeah, wow. (laughs) And And it's warranted. You got a guy that's six foot four and change, 260 pounds, has 34 and seven eighth inch arms. So almost <laughs> 35 inch arms. Almost. What the hell? Put up like 26 bench reps at, with, with, those dang near, with those dang near 35 inch arms. And Monster. you watch him play. Yeah, you watch him play. This is the uh, perfect encapsulation of this. He had a game against LSU this year. He had three and a half sacks against LSU. It really should have been like six because he had a few others that were holding calls. He had one where the quarterback threw it away as he was being thrown to the ground. He had another where he beats the offensive tackle off the snap and he trips as he's rounding the corner over someone's leg and and falls down. He almost, so he should have had like six sacks in one game against LSU. Let's look at LSU's offensive line. Let's look at their statistics. Uh, Shout out to my friend, David Wyatt Hupton for pulling this gem out on draft day when I was freaking out over Michael Clemens. Yeah. If you're not following David, you're messing up. Um, Yes, you are. The Jets fan. For sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's football fan in general, but yes, Jets fan in particular. So he sits there and he goes, Oh, that's, um, that's LSU's left tackle. Yeah. He was a freshman this year. He only gave up three sacks all season. All three of them came against Michael Clemens. (laughs) He only gave up seven pressures all season. Four of them came against Michael Clemens. He mm. played in the SEC. Yeah, SEC. This, like, SEC. We're not talking yep. about, like, this is LSU. We're not talking about, you know, nobody state, you know, whatever. <laughs> this, is, this is LSU. They play some of the best of the best in the SEC. This left tackle who was a freshman at LSU is probably going to be a first-round pick when he's draft eligible. The only sacks he gave up all year were to Michael Clemens. Mm-hmm. That, LSU played Alabama this year. Will Anderson's at Alabama, led the yeah. nation in sacks, is going to be the first overall pick next year. He didn't get a sack or a, a – he had two pressures against this LSU left tackle. Michael Clemens had three sacks and four pressures. That I'm his tape, his tape. He's Emmanuel Agba. That's exactly who he is. 
It's the same get off. It's the same length. It's the same strength. It's the same overpower. And just the, I'm so long. You can't touch me. This, I, I said this on Oklahoma drill when I were going over our draft review, but the reason I'm so excited for this guy to get with Robert Sala, because Robert Sala is going to teach this guy. I, I literally think he's one move away from becoming damn near unblockable. All he has to do is learn to bull rush with one arm. He's a two hand buller and he needs to stop it. He needs to, he needs to take that out of his repertoire entirely. Just like we were talking about Charmin, where we had said you want your offensive tackle. You never want them to strike with two hands at once. Same thing applies when you're a pass rusher and you're going for a bull rush. When you are going for a bull rush and you have both your arms out at once, you limit your very bad. Yes, sir. Very bad. You limit your length. The, any defensive line coach in the world will tell you one arm is longer than two. And what that means is that if you reach out with one arm, you can turn your shoulders and you can get a couple extra inches of reach as if you're putting both your arms out at the same time. He already has almost 35 inch arms. He already can, can outreach people, but with two arms bowling with two arms, once he learns to just use a one arm stab, he can develop inside counters off of it because he's already flashed a nice inside spin move, which that's going to be his main inside counter is going to be flash the one arm stab. You give the inside spin off of it. And then you flash the one arm stab and you ghost move and you dip under the tackle. That's all he needs. He needs those three moves. That's all he needs. He is so long, so strong and so explosive that tackles are going to be so scared of that one arm stab. They'll hill up the other two for free. If he wants it, he's not going to need anything else. So when he gets to camp and he gets in the summer with Robert Sala, Robert Sala is going to get to him and say, look, you ever use a two am stab for me again, you're sitting on the bench. You ever, you ever bull rush with two arms ever again, I'll pull you because that's not how this needs to work. Only use one arm from here on out. And I promise you, your game is going to elevate. He could be Emmanuel Lagba. I really, I truly and fully believe that his tape, his tape blew me away more than anybody else in this draft class. From a guy that I didn't know about, that I hadn't seen, hadn't heard about, hadn't studied any tape on or anything, to just, okay, he's a Jet. Let's see what we have in store. My jaw was dropping within three plays. This dude would have went so much higher if not for his age and for some off-field issues that seemed to be past him. And the Jets really might have gotten a steal. I I could talk about Michael Clemens all night because (laughs) I I think the Jets are the future of their pass rushers. I think they drafted with their third pick and their seventh pick, their future starters at defensive end. I really do. Yeah. um, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the Clemens pick myself. And as much as. And you listen to him talk and he sounds like the Grim Reaper. I was just about to bring that up. I was just about to bring that up. He's. He literally sounds like a demon. Like it was like, you know, he like, sounds like a guy could... that was put on earth to hurt quarterbacks. All I could think about is you remember playing Street Fighter? You remember Akuma? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I could think about. <laughs> oh, oh my all god. I he's could like, think about was he's the like Bane at the Street start Fighter. of the Dark Knight Rises. Yes. Yeah. Like, like he's literally like it doesn't matter who we are what matters is our plan and it's michael clemens <laughs> running a bull rush through the left tackle like it's uh, yeah i'm this draft class guys yes i know we, I, we can say this a lot and we can you know i'm trying to keep the rose colored glasses off like i said but this draft class is the the, the chops to be transformative this could yeah, be foundational this could really be the draft class that if all goes well and the Jets turn into a playoff contender in two years that we're looking back and we're saying it was these, this draft class that did it. I'm, 
I couldn't be happier. And I don't know how any Jets fan can be upset right now. It's not like we're nope. saying anything that's, no, that's controversial. Like nope. this is, I don't know what, what more could you want? <laughs> Quite honestly. Yeah, nothing. And then that, and I think that's it, right? At the end of the day, I think, uh, uh, being what, what's the word like coming out of a draft feeling so satiated. Yeah. <laughs> that's the word I think basically Intent. like, you, yeah, thank you. I thank you. Like you, you felt, felt like there was nothing wrong or nothing else that they could have done. And all I could be, all, all I could think about really going through the draft picks were, was when is, when is this season going to start? Because I cannot believe that all this went down, man. And, and just with what your breakdown of, of, of the last two picks, especially with Clemens, in my opinion, again, with everything you said, I think you didn't even, you didn't even mention the fact that all he's going to do is pin his ears back. <laughs> this is yeah, it. CC Jermaine Johnson with that one too that yeah. all Jermaine's going to do is pin his ears back. And there's last thing I want to bring up on a Jermaine tangent, because you got me started and now I have to bring this up. Um, <laughs> there's a clip I have in the middle of that review where it's right before I get into his pass rushing clips. I show up some clips of his run game because he's a great run defender as well. And then I get into his pass rushing and I show this rep against Florida and I highly advise everyone go watch. If you watch anything out of the entire review, just watch this one clip. It's a clip of Jermaine against Florida. He's in a wide nine stance against the right tackle. Florida's running a play action pass. Jermaine gets an absolutely devastating jump off the snap. He is timed the snap count perfectly. His first step is great. He's two steps into the backfield. The right tackle has absolutely no shot in hell of recovering. It is a clean sack. He's not even going to get a hand on Jermaine. He's going to flatten down, get a sack on the quarterback. That's going to be it. I remember but I said play. it's a play action. It's a play action. So he's Jermaine is coming from the right tackle running back is on the quarterback's right and they're executing a play fake. So the running back is coming from the right to the left. Jermaine has the running back in between the ball and his vision. So he can't see where the ball is until the quarterback finishes the fake. He sees that the running back might have a ball. He stops in his tracks. He stops his momentum. He takes away a sack from himself transitions to stacking on the right tackle gets both hands on. Then he sees the quarterback has the ball and kept it. And it was a play action and not a run play throws the right tackle by him dips under him almost gets in for a sack. Anyway, uh, takes away a sack from himself. If anyone is worried about his ability to win quick, well, he's having to stop himself from winning quick. His hmm. defense is taking sacks away from him. Are we still going to trust the numbers? Are we still going to sit here and say that, oh, the analytics said that his pass rush win weight was low and, uh, you know, yada, yada. You know what number that really stands out to me for Jermaine Johnson? And I still don't even value this that highly because it doesn't tell the whole story, but his conversion rate. He was the number one uh, defensive end in the country last year at converting pressures into sacks. 30% of his pressures were converted into sacks. That's staggering. That's staggering. That's a skill. For anyone wondering, finishing sacks is a skill that you yeah. can get pressure. You can be a good, uh, a good pass rusher and you can stack up pressures, but the ability to finish and to turn those into negative plays and sacks is a skill. Jermaine has a skill at finishing sacks and it shows up on tape. Watch the review. I promise you'll see everything I'm talking about, but just take a breath. Shout out to my guy, Michael Nanya and his analytics. Love Nanya to death. You know, that's my dude always <laughs> and forever, but I got to, I got to challenge him on this one. I, I got to stop and I got to sit here and I got to say, Go beyond the numbers with this guy in particular. 
trust the tape because the tape shows it, something absolutely really, really special. This dude, and- he, he, he's going to be, he's going to be a 12 sack a year player for the jets. He really is. I, I would be dumbfounded if he doesn't. And you know what? And you know what? To put a nail in the coffin, as as much as nobody, not a lot of people know Andrew Goldie, right? More, more people should. And I will tell you, um, anybody listening to this, find the, this guy. Find him on Twitter. Find his stuff. Find his stuff on, on Jet on Rafa. Find his stuff. One person I know for sure, most Jet football fans know, just football fans in general, is Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell. Yep. 40 years of NFL film watching so many different players. Was an executive in the NFL for decades. Decades, knows football inside and out. When he spoke of Jermaine Johnson, the one thing he said that blew me away was that he would not be surprised if at the end of four or five years that Jermaine Johnson is the best pass rusher pick in this draft. That's I fully, it. fully could see it. That's it. I, I mean, there's three if guys this in man this class, could say yeah. that, I'm sorry. There were three guys in this class that I thought had elite of the elite sack producing potential. One of them needed more work, which is why they were a little further down in my rankings. But the three guys that I thought really had the potential to be dominant year in, year out sack producers were Thibodeau, Johnson, and Arnold Ebichetti. Ebichetti. And, yep. and again, for, for anyone questioning me, Ebiketti's analytics are fantastic. So, so don't, you know, don't sit here and say I'm not just an anti-analytics guy because I love Ebiketti too because his tape was really good and his analytics were good matching up on top of that. But he was a little more raw. He's a little more technique work that he has to figure out. But those three guys have burst, bend, length, strength, and awareness. Well, those are the five pillars of pass rushing. All of it. And when you are a defensive end like Jermaine in particular, and this is the one thing about Jermaine that that really sold me on him, he can win any way he wants to. Hmm. You want a guy to beat you with with power and overwhelm a tackle and run through him? He's got more more than enough strength. He's got more strength than he knows what to do with most of the time. Hmm. No issues whatsoever. You want a guy to beat you with speed? He's got the 97th percentile 10-yard split. And a great first step on tape that matches. He'll just beat you to the corner. He can dip his shoulder and beat you with bend. He can beat you with an inside counter. He can set you up with a little inside move and skip and swipe and go back to the outside. There's no physical limitation to Jermaine Johnson. There's no physical thing that he can't do. Where I look at a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, not to bag on him again, which is all my, this entire draft cycle was for me pretty much, but (laughs) There's nothing in the world Aiden Hutchinson can ever do to make his arms longer. Mm. There's nothing in the world Aiden Hutchinson can ever do to make his hips less stiff. He can train, he can try and get more flexible, but it's more of just a natural ability that you have. And if you biomechanically can't operate in that sort of way, there's no improvement that you can make. Does Jermaine need some work with his technique as a pass rusher? Sure. So do most guys coming out of college. Does he need to rush with a plan maybe a little bit better? Yeah, even though I think his his rush plan is pretty good and a lot of guys that knocked it were misunderstanding his scheme. But there's things that he has to improve. There's nothing physical he can't do. So when I'm looking at it from that aspect, I want the guy with no physical limitations. I want the guy that in two or three years could be one of the best in the NFL. 
not the guy that's going to be top 15 as soon as he's drafted and never better than 10. Hmm. That's that to me is where, and then you factor in a guy like Robert Sala with all of the things that he knows about defensive linemen and pass rushing. I could go on all night. I really could. (laughs) I definitely could. Let's, let's kind of close this out with a couple of questions here. Um, Yeah. Hit me with them. Out of any of the any of the guys that they signed, the undrafted guys, any of those guys, should we be? Oh yes, 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 yes. Zonovan Knight, Zonovan Knight, running back from NC State, goes by Bam, and for a reason. Um, Bam Knight is the guy that's going to replace Tevin Coleman. He's oh, your. Wow. We had said for a long time the Jets need a power back, or at least I had said that on Oklahoma Drill for a while back that they they really didn't have anyone that was a goal line guy. Lamont Jordan on Believe in Jets, my co-host over there, uh, was another guy that brought this up that they had a good group of backs, but they didn't have anyone with some real power, short yardage, goal line type of guy. That's Bam Knight. This dude runs through tackles like it's nothing. I am really, really surprised he wasn't drafted. I, I really thought he was more than talented enough to get drafted. And going back to my point from earlier, it's why you don't take a running back in the second round so you can get a guy like Bam Knight undrafted. But uh, <laughs> besides the point, Priest Hall's a jet and I'm excited for it. I swear. Um, <laughs> Bam Knight's going to be a great player. He's a fit in the scheme. He's used to that outside zone. He's got good bursts. His testing wasn't as good as his tape, but he plays much faster than a 4 5 eight, 40. Um, He's got juice. He's got explosion. His contact balance is excellent. He led, um, he's led the ACC in broken tackles the last three years, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. He had, he was 10th in the ACC in rushing this past season. And the only dude above him in the top 10 that had more yards on fewer carries was the guy who was ninth, who has six more yards on six fewer carries. Hmm. Everybody else that had more rushing yards than him in the ACC had at least 40 more carries than he did. Okay. He's great. I, I really like Bam Knight a lot. I think he's going to be uh, a good fit. There's been a lot of talk about Irvin Charles, uh, who was a Indiana University, Pennsylvania receiver, formerly of Penn State, um, where he was a older player. He was in Penn State's 2015 signing class, was a four-star recruit, big body, 6'4". I think he's about 215. Um, James Franklin, who has been around some pretty good receivers in his day uh, when he was a freshman at Penn State, called him maybe the most talented receiver I've ever been around, which Mm. talent is great to have. We all need to see how that can translate into, you know, skill and function and play. But the talent is there. Um, Supposedly, he was doing really well at minicamp. Obviously, we haven't seen any, you know, full clips to be able to break down or say one way or the other. Um, So he's one guy to watch. Um, Trying to think. There's another guy that they What about the DQ kid? Oh, uh, from Florida a Yeah. Oh, Savion Williams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's interesting. He's the guy that fits their penetrating interior defensive lineman mold, where if you look at a guy like Solomon Thomas, who's smaller, 6'3", 280, 290-ish, he's kind of that role, um, was one of the better players in D2 this past year. Um, he was actually is not a full D2 player. He had spent a handful of years at Tennessee, um, okay. University of Tennessee for a couple of years and then transferred this last year to Florida A&M and was the best player in their conference. So that um, that speaks to something. And this is an off the cuff cusp one that I haven't really gotten the chance to look into, but I just thought the story was really interesting. And I figured considering the story that this would be more of a well-known thing, but it really wasn't. Did you guys know Kevin Green's son is trying out? Yeah, I just found out actually today. Yes. Yeah. What's his uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Chris. Chris, Chris, right? Chris, yeah. Do you know Chris, his name? Chris. No, I don't know. 
It wasn't Chris. It wasn't Chris. Uh, uh, it no, was, uh, something. Yeah, what's his name? I'll find it. Yeah, uh, but he's Kevin man. Green's son. He was he's a pass rusher like his dad was, and yes, he had played. He was a backup at Mississippi from what I was watching in his interview, and he had went and played at a small D two school and stood out at that D two school. Um enough to be invited as a try a try on player for the jets in their rookie gavin. camp kevin gavin green gavin, yes that's gavin what it is green. yes yeah obviously finding tape of gavin green you know is not easy but this is yep. again one of those things that like how this isn't a bigger story considering his dad i don't know gavin green is a youtube channel guys and he's put up all 22 clips of his own game tape for months now really months and months yeah go i'm i will i'll send you the link to this after we get done recording Charmin. but you guys got to check this out he's got like 50 60 something videos of his play and there's got like one or two views on each of these videos oh, and we, we're, we're going jets fans let's go and <laughs> let's go and right and this dude is the son of a hall of fame pass rusher that was in the nfl for multiple years was a coach in the nfl for multiple years his profile picture is him and his dad, like on the YouTube channel. And it oh, says like Gavin Green, so NFL draft. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, guys, he's got some talent. Hmm. He's got some talent. I know it's smaller school, but flexible hips are flexible hips. The ability to dip and bend is the ability to dip and bend. Uh, the quick burst off the snap as a burst off the snap as a potential rotational rusher as a guy who's getting a tryout is anything likely to potentially happen down the line probably not but i went in with no expectations and knowing that this guy was probably trained in pass rushing most of his life by his father i'm i'm intrigued so uh, jets fans let's blow this guy up uh go check out gavin green's youtube channel and go watch some of his tape because this is like when i see stuff like that that tells me that this dude has been trying to get his name out there and has been working at this for way longer than anyone could have anticipated despite what his dad was despite who his dad was right that's okay so you're not entitled so you're not you're not using your your dad's position to to get you anywhere you're doing what you can and grinding i'm gonna be rooting for him i'm really I hope he makes something out of it. I really do. Because I think I'm it would be an you. awesome story. I am with you all the way, bro. I definitely Jets fans, let's get let's go to that YouTube channel. I'm gonna I'm gonna retweet. I'm gonna retweet the link. Um, I'm gonna put it on on this uh Chris, we're gonna put it on on our on this episode when we blow it, when we put it out. Um, this is exciting, man. Andrew, there yeah, is got, no I pulled it up right now. Yeah, he's got one subscriber and 386 videos. Okay. No, this is this is ridiculous. No, we gotta blow this up. Andrew, before we go, one one last question: Who uh, since since we killed the draft, who was the total opposite? Who was the biggest loser of the draft, team wise? Uh I'm not. I'm trying not to be biased, but it's the Patriots. (laughs) I was. I I knew that's where he was going. (laughs) I'm trying not to be biased, but it's the Patriots. Um, There is. (laughs) <laughs> Cole Strange is great. Listen, no, Cole Strange is great, and I understand even taking him there. I'm even cool with the value of that because they needed a guard really badly, and most of the top guards were off the board. Zion Johnson wasn't there. I understand taking Cole Strange at 29. I get it. That that is fine. You took Taquan Thornton in round Kansas. two. There you go. That uh, 
cool. He's fast. That's about all he is. Um, Mac Jones doesn't have the arm to get him the ball anyway. So great. You drafted like four running backs. They took, they took at least three. I'm pretty sure they took three running backs. They took a backup to Mac Jones in Bailey Zappi that, okay. You needed to use a fourth round pick on Bailey Zappi. Sure. You insist that's what the the type of guy you want to have. Okay. I don't see outside of the Colts range pick. I don't see anywhere they immediately upgraded. I don't see anywhere they, they immediately made an impact to where they are significantly a better team now than they were before. I think their offensive line got better with the Cole strange pick. And I think everyone else is going to be fighting for a role. Hopefully that that's it's questionable to me. And I question the scheme fits. I question I, Pierre strong really is. I like the player a lot. I had mentioned him earlier, but I just, they want to be a power offense. They don't want to run. They don't want guys with speed to the edge and that are going to be wide zone. McDaniels was a lot more of an inside run game guy and a sweep run game guy than he was a zone run game guy. So mm. I'm, I'm questioning them, them a lot. I, I'm, I'm really questioning them a lot. I will say a quick aside, not as a, a bad draft, but shout out to the uh, Green Bay Packers for taking two of my five favorite receivers in the draft in Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs. Those guys are going to ball the hell out for Aaron Rodgers. And that's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> I heard Dubs picked by the Packers. I was like, oh, Andrew's got to be happy about that one. <laughs> I remember it, they, they got yeah no they got two guys it's they got it's perfect for them they got two guys that can both win over the top or win contested catches and rogers is just going to call double nine routes every play and say go have fun like uh, yeah. yeah good luck well, good luck to green bay's opponents but yeah yeah, yeah guys yeah. this has been a lot of fun this, this draft has been fun this Thank draft you. was excellent and i'm very excited for the future i know we all are Definitely. yeah nobody better man I, I nobody better to to have come over and and talk about this with us man i'm we we really appreciate all your time man we know you're a busy man and uh happy mother's day to your mom man uh yes, by the way thank I you say that yeah Definitely. um that's yes, happy mother's day to all the mothers out there yeah thank you brother but and, yeah uh, but thank you again for coming through and andrew let let everybody know where, where they can find you on twitter and your podcast and everything yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17 on Twitter. Uh, I host two podcasts, one for Jet Sacks Factor and one for the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, first one is the Oklahoma Drill Podcast on JetX. You can follow at OKD Podcast. And you can follow the Believe in the Jets podcast at B-L-E-A-V in Jets as well. Um, yeah, always posting stuff there. Got all my other work on Jets X Factor or the Jets X Factor YouTube. So either one of those, you'll find me somehow. All right. Awesome, Andrew. Thank all you for right, joining brother. us again. And uh, thank you, everybody. It's our 50th episode. Thank you again for supporting us. And we will see you guys next week.